we're in Genesis 39 today. We're continuing the series looking at the Joseph narrative that we've heard already. It's not just about Joseph. Uh, it's in Genesis 37, 38, 39 and onwards. And previously we've, we've heard about how Joseph was part of um, Jacob's family with 11 brothers. How he was the favorite, got that special coat from his dad and his brothers were jealous. And that jealousy wasn't dealt with and led to them trying to kill him, initially planning to kill him and then selling him into slavery. We had a little detour last week in Genesis 38, dealing with Judah and his self-righteousness. If you want to hear more about that, listen online, because it's easier to do that than me trying to recap a very complicated chapter. But we pick up the narrative here with Joseph, and in your Bibles it's probably entitled Joseph and Potiphar's Wife. And we're going to read from verse 1 all the way through the chapter and it should be on the screen behind you. So, now Joseph had been taken out to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate." Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife." How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. 
The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Have you ever been in a situation where life has not quite gone your way? Maybe you have some plans and they've not been fulfilled. It's not happened the way you wanted it to. Maybe you've had some dreams, some desires. They've not come to fruition. They've not happened. And if you're not in that situation, have not experienced that situation, let me suggest to you, if you live long enough, you will probably come to that situation. And this episode in Joseph's life helps us deal with disappointments, to deal with dreams that are dying. Joseph had a dream that his brothers and his parents would bow down to him, a God-given dream, and yet he was sold into slavery. And he rises up in Potiphar's household. He's falsely accused and then put in prison. These dreams are dead. They're further away than they ever have been. And we're going to look at Joseph and how he handles that disappointment how he handles himself before God when his dreams have died. We're going to look at two encouragements we can see in this chapter. We're going to look at some challenges that come out of this chapter. And we're going to look at some huge truths that we can get hold of in the midst of it as well. So encouragement number one that we get from this chapter here. This is the encouragement I want to give to you. If your dreams are dying, if you're struggling, if you're living with disappointment... God is still blessing you. In the roller coaster ride that is Joseph's life, in this chapter here, we see frequently written, God blessed Joseph. God's favor was with Joseph. In verse 5, we see this blessing that leads to Potiphar's household succeeding, and Joseph succeeding in that. In verse 21, in the prison, we see God's favor is with Joseph and he is blessed and leads him to being in charge of the prison. It's like a book end of the chapter and the author is drawing attention to this fact. God is blessing Joseph. Yes, he's having difficult times. Yes, he's having challenges. Yes, there's false accusations. Yes, his dreams are dying. But God is still blessing them. And as those in Christ, we can claim the same thing. If you know Jesus, we can say this morning, God is blessing me. God is blessing me. Now you might say, you might come back and say, but you don't know what my life is like. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know the difficulties. You don't know what my mental health is like. You don't know what I'm struggling with. And you're right, I don't. But I still know this. If you're in Christ, he is still blessing you. He is still blessing you. Joseph could have said the same thing. Look at my life. Look at my life. I'm in prison. My dreams are here. They're miles away. But we read the narrative is this. God was blessing Joseph. When I was younger, age 10, I had a very specific idea of what present I wanted for my birthday. And rather than me explain the amazement of this toy, I'm hopefully going to be able to play you a video. Can anything stop the animal? The animal! It's a big, powerful 4x4, but when the going gets tough, 
It bears its claws, to climb over anything that gets in its way. The animal, the animal, the animal, the animal, the animal, clawing its way to the top. The animal, each sold separately, batteries not included, new from Galoop. Yeah, am I right? Am I right? A four by four monster truck with claws. <laughs> with claws. So cool and so scary that parakeets squawk when it goes near them. Oh, I made it so clear to my parents. I was specific. There were words, there was conversations, there was nagging, there was letters, there was notes. So on my birthday, I was so excited. The box was just the right size. <laughs> Still painful now. This is what I got. As you can see, that is not an animal monster truck. Now, I have reduced the size somewhat just to reflect how pitiful it was. Perhaps that's slightly more accurate. Technically, it is a similar toy. Technically, it is a monster truck toy. You press a button and it moves. But as you can see, there are no claws. I don't think a parapet is going to be scared by that. And that's what I wanted. I didn't get it. I think to say that I was upset is an understatement. As a 10-year-old, I indulged myself with the best tantrum I knew how, screamed and shouted and said, that is not what I want for my birthday. And my parents said, go to your bedroom. <laughs> and so I still remember now, gradually going up the stairs, weeping. <laughs> I don't even say that for dramatic effect. That was the reality. I haven't got an animal truck for my birthday. And now we have to spend all day in my bedroom. It wasn't a great birthday. Now, actually, as you can see on top of the monster truck, there's a couple of levers, which meant turning it on and off was a bit quicker and a bit easier. And it had a two-wheel drive and a four-wheel drive motion. And also, it could reverse and go forward. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? I learned that actually that was still a blessing. Now, I may not have got what I wanted. And the reason was, was because that was half the price of the animal truck. It was overpriced. Massively, and as a child with four siblings, my parents had a budget for my birthday. But I learned this was a good toy. I didn't get exactly what I wanted, but I was still blessed. I still had a decent present on my birthday. And the author here notes, and perhaps Joseph can note with hindsight, God was blessing him. He may not have got what he wanted when he wanted it, but God was still at work. And whether you observe it, whether you feel it, whether you see it, God is at work in your life and God is blessing you. If your dreams are dying, if you're disappointed, if your desires are not being fulfilled, know this, God is still blessing you. And we've got to seek out actively a heart that wants to offer thanks for blessing in our lives. For what he's done. For what we have. Because everyone here, we have many things we can say thank you to God for because he is blessing us. Encouragement number two. So Joseph's dreams are dying. 
But it's much worse than that. The encouragement is coming. It's much worse than that. The whole situation is magnified and increased by the fact that in reality, he's alone. He's been taken away from his family. He's been taken from his homeland into a foreign land. And if you are living with dreams that are dying, often what accompanies that is some sort of isolation in the sense that people don't necessarily understand what you're living with. You also feel more isolated. And for Joseph, this was definitely true. But in his two darkest moments, when he's sold into slavery and when he's sent into the prison, what do we read in verse 2? The Lord was with Joseph. And what do we read in verse 21? The Lord was with him. We can also note this as well, which is, this is fascinating. That of, in all the Joseph narrative, the name of God or Yahweh is not mentioned specifically. Yet in this chapter, it is mentioned seven times. It's almost like the author is emphasizing God's here. God's in this chapter. God's in this bit of Joseph's life. It's up and down. There's false accusations, there's imprisonment, there's being sold into slavery. But God is there in the midst. God is with him. And if you're struggling, if you're disappointed, if your dreams are dead, I can say with absolute certainty this morning, God is with you. God is with you. I'm going to say it seven times. Because Yahweh's mentioned seven times. I've done it twice already. God's with you. Jesus, the risen one, is with you. The Almighty, the creator of the world, is with you. The Holy One, the perfect one, the one who died for you, is with you. He is with you. Now, whether you feel that or not is less important than getting hold of the truth that is, He is with you. He is with you. Now, Andrew Lloyd Webber doesn't get everything right in the Joseph musical. In preparing, I tried so hard not, not to have to reference the musical, but the moment's come for my own personal rendition of a song from that musical. If you want to get your tissues out now. That was, that was too strong, the laughter then. Close every door to me. Keep those I love from me. Tissues. Children of Israel are never alone. Thank you. For I know I shall... No. <laughs> Don't need to go that far. Children of Israel are never alone. Maybe it feels like you're sitting in a prison, isolated. Your dreams are dead. Your desires aren't being fulfilled. Nothing's going your way. More importantly than Andrew Lloyd Webber telling us this, the Bible tells us that we are children of God. We are never alone. So, we'll come back to that point later. 
I'll say more about that. So we've got two encouragements. I'm going to go for it. This is kind of a third encouragement, but there's some... It's a complicated way of getting there, okay? So it's going to feel a little bit challenging. So it's kind of challenges that lead to a, an encouragement, all right? So we're going to look at three. So we're, let's remind ourselves of the story first. Joseph, rejected by his brothers. They wanted to kill him. They sold him into slavery. He comes in to Potiphar's household. He works hard. He gets promoted, then gets falsely accused. This man who lives with total integrity gets falsely accused of something he didn't do. And so then he gets thrown into prison. And and for all we know, he probably would have been there for the rest of his life. At 42, I know it's surprising, I'm, I'm that old. At 42... I've seen a little bit of life. I know a little bit of human nature. And to be honest, I know myself. And I look at this story and think, I would have not reacted in that way. I'd have done things slightly differently. I would not have gone the way Joseph did. I don't mean in a positive sense. I want to do, in terms of challenging us, just just to look at some of the reactions we may have had if we were in this situation. Things we might expect to be there that aren't there. And I believe as we do that, God wants to bring a level of freedom this morning. We've heard some of that already, and I was very encouraged. I felt this morning, although I'm not particularly preaching on freedom, that the result of this message would be freedom. And so we've heard that already. And so when God says he wants to do something, that's because he's going to do it. So I hope your faith has risen already from what, was, what has been brought this morning from the microphone. But God wants to bring freedom to us this morning. So firstly, we're going to look at a reaction that Joseph did not have. And that reaction is self-pity. What is self-pity? The dictionary says it's this, excessive self-absorbed unhappiness over one's own troubles. I prefer to define it this way, an internalized adult tantrum repeating the refrains, it's not fair and I deserve more. That's what it often feels like for me. But let me explain it a slightly different way. Are we familiar with this? So this is classic frustration. If you're over the age, under the age of 20, maybe that's more familiar. That's the modern version of frustration with the added genie on the top. Totally unnecessary, but there is now a genie. If you're not familiar with this game, let me explain to you what happens. In the middle of the board is a dice. And in order to get your counters out, get around the board and get home, you have to get a six. Okay? Should someone, if you get out, if you get a six, not always guaranteed, if you get a six and, and, and someone lands on you, you go back home. So inevitably what happens when you play frustration in our household, firstly, Elsie wins, always does. Don't know why, she just wins. Okay, if she challenges you... Don't go anywhere near it. She is the frustration queen. She will win any time. Secondly, someone, someone will be there for minutes, tens of minutes, possibly hours, not able to get a six. Classic frustration. Not got a six. New style frustration. It's a paddle. Not got a six. I can't get out. What's the point of this game? It's so frustrating. Can't get out. I've got out. I've got a six. I'm out. 
You'll go. Back home! Why am I back home? This game is ridiculous. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating that I'm not going to bother playing. Oh, I've not got a six. What a surprise. Oh, I've not got a six. What a surprise. Oh, I've just broken my hand. What a surprise. This is, I'm, oh, forget it. I'm not playing anymore. That is a lived out example of self-pity. Where things don't go our way. We're so focused on getting what we want that we take ourselves out of the game. We remove ourselves out of the game. Now, Joseph, you look at his story, you read his story. He has, if you like, if anyone has any right to wallow in self-pity, I'd give him. I'd give him an opportunity to wallow in it. But I don't see a tantrum. I don't even get a whiff of self-pity in the story. Maybe he's a little bit misunderstood. Maybe he's a little bit cocky. Maybe he's slightly annoying. Maybe he's got some pride issues to work on. But when the chips are down, when the dreams are dying, he shows us a way through. Yes, it's about knowing that God is blessing us. And yes, it's about knowing that God is with us. But he does not give himself in to self-pity. Instead, he commits himself to working to working for the Lord. Now, you do not get promoted to the head of a house, Potiphar's house, or the head of the prison by perfecting your I've been catastrophically wronged walk and mope. I can't imagine him walking around like this going, yeah, what do you want, Potiphar? Whatever. I'll just go and get your drink for you. Yet my three-year-old has managed to perfect that walk already and gets what she wants every time. Interesting. Joseph wasn't like, he wasn't moping. He wasn't wallowing in self-pity. He wasn't just moping around. He can't have been. Yes, we know God was with him. Yes, we know God blessed him. But at the same time, he does not give himself over to self-pity. Instead, he gets hold of a verse from the New Testament, which hadn't been written yet, but he lives it out. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. We could have forgiven him for having a bit of an attitude. We could have forgiven him for having a little bit of self-pity. But instead we see the result of hard work, of giving himself to what God had given him. His portion, he says, I'm going to make the most of it. I'm in part of his house, sold as a slave, rejected by my family. I'm going to give myself to it. I've been falsely accused. I'm in the prison. What can I do? I'm going to give myself to it. And God blesses him. What about you? Here comes a challenge. If you don't get what you want, do you retreat? If life gets tough, do you just batten down the hatches? If you can't roll a six and get what you want, do you give up on life? Do you give up on God? Joseph got a really tough set of cars, but he chose a different way to self-pity. Second, what else could we see here? What else would we expect to see? Perhaps we would expect to see a little bit of compromise. Joseph has had a rough life. He's had a difficult time. Surely he can cut a few corners. Day after day after day after day, he faces temptation in the form of Potiphar's wife. 
What does Joseph do? He values integrity over progression. He values doing the right thing over success. He values following God's way rather than his way. When the crunch comes, when she shouts and screams out in verse 12, what does Joseph do? He flees knowing that a sacking, imprisonment and possibly death may come his way, but he chooses integrity first over those things. What about you? At work, are you prepared to cut corners to progress? With your friends, are you prepared to badmouth others in order to get in others' good books? At school, are you prepared to cheat rather than knuckle down and work hard? In church life, are we happy to look the part but not always live the part? Joseph has more excuses than most for compromising, but he didn't. He chose integrity. Thirdly, what else could we expect from him? I'm going to use a phrase, I'll explain it in a second, but we can expect him to pass on the pain. In other words, he's been hurt and wounded. Why shouldn't he do the same to others? Why shouldn't he pass on the pain or abuse the power that's been given to him in Potiphar's household and in the prison? You've heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And often we can see that through families that have been experienced some level of abuse or mistreatment that it can continue into the parenting in the next generation. It's been modeled that, that way and they know no other way. It's a bit like, have you come across, I'm going to get sciencey now, well I'm not going to get sciencey because I don't do science particularly, but have you come across Newton's cradle? This is a Newton's cradle. Anyone want to explain scientifically how this works? Okay, we'll do it non-scientifically then. Okay, That ball at the end hits the other balls and the other one comes off the other end. So it swings. And the same force that goes in is the same force that goes out. There's nothing in the middle that changes. The force goes through the balls straight out the other side. And sometimes in life, something gets done to people and they make no adjustment, no change, and it just comes straight out. And with Joseph, we look at him and look at the rejection he's experienced. The abuse he's experienced, the punishment he's experienced, the false accusations he's experienced. And we can think, well, some of that could have come out. Some of that could have come out in his relationships and the way he looked after people and the way he, he was responsible for people. But we read nothing of that. We read instead that he was totally trusted to run things in the absence of Potiphar and the prison guard. He wasn't abusing the power he had. He wasn't taking the pain he experienced and pushing it onto other people. He was, he was totally responsible and behaved with integrity. What about us? Do we pass on the pain we've experienced? Do we take it out on others? Do we take advantage of the position we are in? Do we let disappointment and damage filter into the way we treat others? Despite the huge amount of emotional and possibly physical pain Joseph suffered, he shows us that we don't have to pass on the pain. So, how do we escape these traps? How do we escape these traps of self-pity, of compromise, of passing on the pain? How do we do that? How did Joseph live the way he did? And if you like, this is the culmination of point three. This is almost the biggest point here. What I think Joseph does is that he recognizes that living for the dream 
is never going to work. His dreams have died, but he doesn't live for them. He's living for something else, more important, something bigger. He's living for God. He's living for relationship with God. He's living to glorify God. He's living to lift him up. He's not saying it's about my dreams, it's about what I want. Even though those dreams are God-given, he's saying it's about God and what he wants. It's about living for him now in the best way I know how. You see, as soon as we live for dreams or live for anything else, as soon as we adjust what we do on the basis of what we receive from God, we're making our relationship with him transactional. In other words, we're saying it's a bargain. If you give me this desire... Or if you give me this dream, I'm going to live for you wholeheartedly. But that was never the call in our lives. That was never the call to discipleship. What was the call to discipleship? Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus says, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. It says in Luke 9.23. This speaks of absolute sacrifice. This speaks of laying down our lives. This speaks of laying down our desires. This speaks of laying down our dreams. This speaks of laying down our comfort. This speaks of saying, I want to live wholeheartedly for you because I want to live wholeheartedly for you because you deserve it because you're the Lord. There's no transaction. There's no bargain. There's no saying, if life goes this way, then I'll live for you. Discipleship is taking up our cross and following Jesus. Let me put it this way. If we are living for dreams or desires and they don't come to fruition, we are likely to wallow in some level of self-pity. We'll probably be tempted to compromise and we may well at some point pass on the pain we've experienced to others. I want to finish, as I said at the start, with some more truth. Hopefully you've been encouraged Hopefully you've been challenged. We want, I want to look at some fundamental life-changing truth as we consider these challenges. And as in all likelihood, we perhaps don't fulfill those challenges in total perfection. This story inevitably points us towards Jesus. Like Joseph, he went through suffering, but he didn't give in to temptation. He didn't choose self-pity or compromise or passing on the pain. He chose to, t- to follow the Father's will like Joseph. And for Joseph, that led to the saving of many lives. And for Jesus, it leads to the saving of our lives. And as those who are saved, we are now in Christ. And that phrase, in Christ, is one of Paul's favourite. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the most of the New Testament, wouldn't refer to believers as believers or Christians. His favourite phrase, really, is in Christ or something similar. And the New Testament is full of 200-ish examples where Paul refers to believers as those who are in Christ. And I think it is purposeful. And as we consider it and we look back over the message this morning, I think it's going to bring some colour, some emphasis and some help to us. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, I still remember Arnold, who led the church a few years ago. I still remember him giving this example, saying, well, we're in the Jubilee Center. So what happens to the Jubilee Center happens to us. 
if this sets on fire, we're going to get caught up on it. If there's an earthquake, we're going to get caught up in it. If it gets painted, we're likely to get painted too if you sit still enough. But basically, the, the, we, whatever happens to the Jubilee Center is going to happen to us. And as those who are in Christ, our destiny is tied up with him. Whatever's going to happen to Jesus and whatever has happened to Jesus has happened to us. Now don't ask me to fully explain that because the elements of that are a great mystery that we can revel in without totally, cerebrally understanding every detail. But I read it in the Word of God and I know it is true and it has devastating effects for us and it's going to bring even more life to some of the truths and some of the, 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 the encouragements we've been considering this morning. So looking back on the lessons we've learned from Joseph, how do we know we are truly blessed. This is what it says in Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Have you notice that's past tense? So if you're in Christ this morning, if you're a believer, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You're blessed not with some or a percentage or a proportion, a fraction of. It says you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So we reflected at the start. When we're struggling with dreams that are dying or with disappointments, we can say we know we're blessed. Well, actually, you can say more than that. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Even though my dreams are dying. Even though my desires are not being fulfilled. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. How do we know he's truly with us? We're in Christ. This is what it says in Colossians. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Yes, God says, I will, be, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. But more than that, he says this. Your whole destiny is completely tied up with Jesus. So you've died and you're now hidden with him. You'll rise with him and be with him forever. So whether your dreams are dying or being fulfilled... Whether every desire is being met or not, this is still true. God is with you and you are in him. And your future is secure in him. And how then can we live for God rather than for our dreams? This is what it says in Philippians. Therefore, my dear friends, have you all, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We're in Christ, and yet Christ is at work in us, bringing about our salvation as we work it out, bringing about our future in him. God is at work in us. We've got some work to do, but he is at work in us too. By his Spirit, helping us work out our salvation and how to live for him rather than our dreams and desires. Just before we finish, I want to read an excerpt from a book that I happen to be reading in the middle of the week this week. And it ties down 
and gives a practical example of an element of this. Because sometimes we listen on a Sunday and think, well, how does that work in reality? How does that work when the rubber hits the road? Well, hopefully this will give you an idea. So it's a book by Phil Wilfew, and he's conveying how they've gone on a dream family holiday. They've gone to Mallorca. They've got a nice villa and a pool. They've, they've splashed out. It was a special holiday. And on the first day of the holiday, his wife falls down the stairs and breaks her arm in two or even three paces, places. And it's the most painful thing that she has ever experienced. And this is what he says. <coughs> Little cough here. As she sat and waited to be seen by a doctor, the temptations to self-pity, anger and victim thinking tugged at her heart as they did mine. A dark and cavernous invitation to think like a pauper loomed in her mind, but Carol made a courageous decision that transformed that moment. She remembered who she really is and started to thank God for his blessings in her life. She recalled every answered prayer she could think of, every Bible promise and truth about her identity. She began to go to war against the old identity of feeling abandoned, lost and alone. And as she did so, the hospital corridor turned from a place of pain into a place of worship. Joy, peace and the presence of God filled her heart with powerful, heavenly influence, washing through her heart and mind, bringing strength and grace for that moment. Knowing who you are in Christ gives you a different lens on the world. Have your dreams died? Are they dying? Have you packed them away because there's no way they're going to get fulfilled? Have they been killed off? Are you living with disappointments? Are you living with unfulfilled desires? To be honest, most of us are in some way or other. But there is a way forward. And Joseph shows us that. He shows us that we are blessed. He shows us that God is with us. He shows us that we can live for God by not falling into the traps of self-pity or compromise or passing on pain. And because we are in Christ, we can know this fully truth, this full truth in our lives. And we can know him helping us work it out. Amen.